Today's episode of About Them Cowboys is brought to you by Robinhood. If you're looking to get in the investing game and you just don't know where to start, the Robinhood app is for you. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. And you can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. With fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amounts, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla for as little as a dollar. And there are zero commission fees or account minimums, so whether you're new to investing like me, or you're an old pro, join the 10 million other Robinhood users today and get on it. You can get a free stock by going to cowboys.robinhood.com. That's cowboys.robinhood.com for a free stock. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. It was something that floored me that you thought was real, but it turns out that there are others in your boat. And so let's play how the emergency break went down and hear the musers respond to what Mike thought was real. The reaction to what he heard when he was asked about it yesterday and Garrett just... Well, I'm going to say is we're going to fight hard and play, blah, blah. You know, he wouldn't, know. Even, he wouldn't even address it. I know. Love those butt-fucking blueberries. Like <laughs> <laughs> Wish he'd have said that. God. That's so over the top for him. For Gordon? That's Gordon. Oh, but but I mean, he said it, didn't he? No. Oh, no, 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 no. That was a parody of the Cowboys... Not hard knocks, but what was the other thing? Yeah, that thing on Amazon. All or nothing. All or nothing, where Garrett was just cussing. You so thought much. Jason Garrett <laughs> said the words "butt effing blueberries." All this time, I thought that was him. Well, that's the great Gordo doing a parody of Garrett over cussing in that show. Yeah. All of those f-ing big ass blueberries. The only thing I can say is, how about them cowboys? How about them, Cowboys? Indeed. It is time for our weekly dive in all things Cowboys here at The Athletic. As the coaching staff is officially official at the Star, with Mike Nolan scheming up the Hot Boys, trademark pending, and Kellen continuing to call the shots on O, until the Cowboys inevitably fall into McCarthyism. At least that's what I'm told by all my Packer fan friends. So welcome back in to a special off-season edition of About Them Cowboys. As we anticipate free agency, the NFL Combine, and most likely, more drama in Cowboys country. I am Kent Garrison, the lion of the pride here at the show, keeping your Cowboys experts on the air as we dive into all things going on with America's team this week. And remember, you can get 40% off your subscription to The Athletic by using our custom link, theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys. That, of course, gets you full access to all of our content across every vertical we have here at The Athletic, including our incredible Kobe Bryant coverage that took place over the weekend. And it also includes Dane Brugger's Beast 2020 Draft Guide at no extra charge. And again, you can get 40% off, and that rounds out to about $2.99 a month. And for the best sports coverage on the planet, I'd say that's a pretty good deal. And if you've ever seen Dane's Draft Guide, it's definitely worth the price of the membership just for that. So get on that now. Theathletic.com slash about them cowboys. But now, it's time to welcome back in our panel for this hour. First, he's been spending his offseason, well, preparing for next season. He's the Papa Bear of the podcast. It's Father John Mashoda. Howdy, John, and did you see any more Oscar nominees since we last spoke? I haven't, but I will say, if we're gonna bring that up, I told you that Billy Eilish was gonna win all those awards. And you guys didn't oh, yeah. believe me because yeah. you did not think that I follow this type of music, but I do, and I knew that was going to happen. Yeah, you were dead on about Billie Eilish. Thought it was going to be Lizzo that took home most of the awards, but man, I should listen to you more, Billie Eilish. And we're welcoming in for the first time. He's a recent retiree who we are so excited to have on the show. He's a Texas Radio Hall of Famer, one of the pioneers of Dallas Sports Talk Radio, and a personal leader of mine. He's the old gray wolf of the podcast. It's Mike Reiner. Howdy, Mike. Good evening, boys. How are we? 
And he's returning to the hosting chair. He's the Black Puma of the podcast. It's Kevin KT Turner. And KT, I think Mike has been off the air for a while, so he probably has a lot to say about the Cowboys. So we got some audio to go over later, but let's get right into it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's quite an honor, not only for you to call me the Black Puma of the podcast, but for Mike to join us. Um, I, I stayed back when Mike retired or, or quit or whatever happened, you know, when Mike left the ticket, I, I knew his phone was blowing up. And then I, I got up the courage about three days ago to send Mike a text just like, Hey, maybe, maybe we're not blowing up his phone, but Mike, I know it's been a while. Cowboys obviously are not in Miami hanging out, getting ready for the Super Bowl once again for about the 25th year, 26th straight year, I believe something like that. Mm-hmm. Like we all then, thought they would be. Yeah, like we all thought they'd be, right? Just kind of on the couch right now, hanging out. Um, your thoughts, though, Jason got a long string, obviously, almost 10 years. And then were you shocked by what they did to replace him with Mike McCarthy so quickly? Um, No, I really was not. I kind of drew a reasonably straight line between Mike McCarthy and here, once Mike McCarthy wound up on the beach, I thought that there might be a path, of course, with the Cowboys and you know, with Jerry. You never know what they're thinking. You never know what they're going to do. You never know which way they're going to go with these things. But it seemed like a sensible move. It did seem like a fairly straight line. And I can't say I'm totally shocked that they – you know, instead of following the yellow brick road to who knows where this time, they they took the straight and narrow and they wound up here. And I think they'll I think that's good. You know, it's it's an interesting hire to me. I, I didn't see it being some crazy change of things. And maybe it will be just because it's not Jason. And it's also, you know, one of those things where Jerry it apparently does not want to make some hardcore change. And if you look at the roster Probably doesn't need to make a hardcore change. But, John, I'll go to you now. Looking at some of these assistant coaching hire, uh, hirings, looking at how McCarthy is kind of not going to call plays, he's just going to let Kellen call plays, this does feel like a big change compared to the last uh, eight or nine years. Well, yeah, especially because they went from having a relatively young coaching staff and they were going to go with a talked about this a lot of young ideas and things they were trying to implement last offseason. And then you go to this offseason and this is, I don't know, I mean, I've been covering teams since like 2011 and this is the most experienced coaching staff by far, uh, just not only in their longevity, but how many of them have head coaching experience as well. It, it just certainly seemed like Mike McCarthy was trying to get uh, as many veterans as possible, guys who have, uh, you know, just seen a lot of, I mean, they have Mike Nolan as your defensive coordinator. That guy's been around uh, for a long, long time. And he's been for, I mean, he's been with, I feel like almost half the league. Uh, it just, I felt like he was going to get some veterans, but I didn't think it was going to be quite to this level. And then right when you kind of thought that he was wrapping up the staff and they were pretty much done, then all of a sudden you find out that they're getting George Edwards, who has been with, uh, the Bills and the Redskins as as a defensive coordinator, and then the last uh, four or five years um, with the Vikings, and they're just having him come on as a senior defensive assistant. It just was kind of like, I mean, I don't know, like I didn't really expect them to necessarily go this route with all the veteran coaches, but it makes sense. These are the guys that Mike McCarthy knows and he feels comfortable with. And um, let's be honest, I mean, he won a Super Bowl, but at the same time, I, I feel like all these guys must think. Um, you know, like who knows if I never get if I ever get another chance to be a head coach, much much less for an organization like the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not going to take too many chances with this staff. I'm going to get guys that that I know that I've been around that have proven track records. My favorite hire of all these guys is Rob Davis as the assistant head coach or, or senior assistant head coach. I'm not sure what his official title is, but Rob Davis, who is a former long snapper for the Packers, but is most famous for being a bodyguard for Dennis Rodman in the middle of the '90s Bulls. And uh, I saw, John, that you tweeted out Randall Cobb walked by and was like, hey, he's a badass because Rob Davis is awesome. He's one of the most awesome people. And I know a lot of people don't know about like old long snappers, but just imagine a guy who is Dennis Rodman's bodyguard during the times when, Mike, you probably remember when Dennis came through here, how odd that little short tenure was. Uh, I can imagine being a bodyguard for that guy at that time is how much crazy crap he's seen. One of the oddest scenarios in Mavericks history, that's for sure. But if he, if he was Dennis Rodman's bodyguard, 
that delivers a very, very impactful message to a whole lot of people, I would think, that this is not a guy to trifle with. And if he doesn't like something that's going on in there in the room, then he's going to make that known and you better tighten up. And if you don't, he will personally take care of it. You know, we'd heard some rumors, and I don't know how much of this is true, but there were some rumors that things got a little more loose last year than maybe in years past. And there could be a number of reasons for that. Number one could be that Jason Garrett's been here for 10 years, and it's the same message, you know, for year after year after year. But I do think that's an interesting point. Uh, Hey, let's kind of tighten things up a little bit. And I think McCarthy will do that. Things didn't get out of control for McCarthy until after about 10 years in Green Bay. That's when things kind of got weird with him. So... I think uh, that's a very interesting hire, and I'm very pleased uh, that he's here. Uh, I, I know another thing, man. When when McCarthy finally admitted that Kellen is going to call plays, I, I don't know. I guess I just didn't see that coming. I kind of thought it was kind of over my dead body. He would uh, give up play calling just because he had called plays for most of the time in Green Bay. Uh, John, were you shocked by that at all? I, I mean, I was a little surprised just because of the fact that you know, I, I thought that Mike McCarthy, a guy who said that he was never going to give up play calling again after he did late in his time with the Packers, I thought that was going to be part of the deal with him coming on that. Yeah, maybe he keeps Kellen on as the OC um, so that there's, you know, some familiarity, some continuity with with the current players. But I did not think he was going to let him call plays. And, and hey, maybe that changes between now and then once the season starts, maybe, uh, you know, because in talking to Kellen on Monday, it. it the last stuff he was saying was very similar to when he took over last year as offense coordinator, very using the word collaborative, which was very popular with him and Jason Garrett, that it was going to be, you know, not just me calling the plays all by myself. There's going to be a lot of input, you know, all the way around. And so, um, you know, I think, I think it is going to be like, that. I think, I think he'll call the plays at the end of the day, probably, but Mike McCarthy is going to have a big say in this again, like how, how does he know he's ever going to have another head coaching chance again? And obviously after having, you know, that season off to look back on, on things and change some things up. Um, you know, if things start going in the wrong direction during the season, I find it hard to believe that he's going to sit there and, and not, uh, you know, step in if it, if it comes to that. But, you know, as, as disappointing as last season was, there were a lot of positives on the offensive side of the ball. It makes sense why you would want to build off of that. I've got something for both of you guys here. If you would allow me to throw something in. Oh, absolutely. Please do. With the dynamic here always having been what it is, and that is the success of the head coach with the exception of one or maybe two being directly tied into just how well he gets along with Jerry. What I want to know from you guys is how much do you think that dynamic is still in play And can Mike McCarthy live with that if, in fact, it is the way it has been in some years? Oh, man, I'm glad you asked this question because as a lifelong Packers fan, who, by the way, as a kid, was actually would go to training camp with my parents in Green Bay and meet guys like Rob Davis personally straight out of that, like just a couple years after his Dennis Rodman days. I think Mike McCarthy, after about two years, maybe two and a half, and maybe the club's success depends on it, I think you will see the stubborn side of Mike McCarthy come around and he will start to butt heads. I think in the early going, we're going to see a honeymoon phase where he mm-hmm. does what he's told a little bit. You know, he'll he's, he'll still fight for some things. But as he said in that opening press conference, I just said some things so I could get the job. You're going to see a little bit of that. He's going to be a charming guy at first. And then after about two years, if this team hasn't taken that next step that Stephen Jones is talking uh, talking about, I think you'll kind of see – Mike McCarthy reveal a, a side that gets a little more pushy and gets a little more, uh, I'm not saying you know, butting heads with Jerry, but they're both going to have voices out there in the media. And that's where things can kind of become a problem because we know Jerry's going to keep talking no matter what. So I, I do think like if the immediate success doesn't come in the first two years, oh yeah, I don't think he's going to see the day, uh, the, the end of the day of this five-year contract unless they do take the next step and, 2020 or 2021. I truly think it'll become a problem. How do you see this, John? <laughs> it's funny because I was at the Senior Bowl last week, and that's one of the few times you get to be around writers that cover the other teams. And like, whenever anybody asks me about the Cowboys um, that cover other teams, one of the first things they ever say is, 
I can't believe that the owner and general manager talks to you guys after every single game. And I can't believe he has his own radio show. And I become used to it. So it, it always is like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. No, that's just how it is down there. But because of that, I just feel like if things are going well, it'll be fine. But if things start going off the track, there's just only so much, I think, each individual person can take. And if Mike McCarthy is at the post-game podium and Jerry's talking outside the locker room and their messages are kind of getting mixed and they're talking, uh, you're not on the same page, I could see that potentially causing problems because for anything that, you know, all the criticism that anybody wants to give Jason Garrett, I don't know that you could get anybody that could maybe, you know, handle, I don't know if that's the right word, but work alongside with Jerry better than Jason did. He just had such thick skin about that stuff uh it wouldn't matter what jerry said after a game or in the off season or what his goals were even going into this last season where jason clearly knew he was coaching for his job like you could never get jason to go off sides on anything that that jerry jones said and i don't know i don't think everybody can do that and and i think that you make an interesting point about that kt like you know he's not he's coming from a place where there was no dynamic like that at all and so it it just it's hard to believe that um, everybody can work alongside Jerry Jones the way Jason Garrett did. I, I, I don't know that everybody can do that. And we've obviously seen other coaches, uh, you know, not be able to do that with Jerry. There's no dynamic like that anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is Cuban the closest thing you've seen to that dynamic, Mike? Yeah, maybe if you want to go back to the early days of the Rangers during the ownership of Eddie Childs. He was for a while, but they got to him. And they got him to tamp things down, stay out of sight a little bit. And he seemed to go along with that okay. But beyond Jerry and Cuban, man, I can't think of anybody we've seen like like that. Anybody. And for, uh, for Eddie Childs, isn't it a little different though, like – Back then, they like almost the Rangers almost needed the publicity. Yeah, like, we're talking about the Cowboys. Oh yeah, they don't yeah. need any extra publicity. Like the Rangers, that was good for them at the time, right? Yeah, the dynamic between the two were were so different. It's not even funny because the Rangers were bad every year. Everybody <laughs> knew they were going to be bad every year, and for them, literally any kind of publicity was good publicity, even if it was Eddie Childs ranting and raving about something going on in the baseball game that just finished half an hour before, which he clearly didn't understand or have any kind of concept of. But still, if he was game to go in there and talk to the leering press about it in that way that he did, that was good. Something about those old school oil guys who uh, like to mix it up yep. in the media a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, they like Mike, that. Mike, do you think that Jerry causes more problems now for his head coaches or did he cause more in the 90s? Uh, well, I would say probably now because there are only a few who will bug back. Jimmy would. And, you know, we saw what happened there. But, but you know, even when Jimmy was here, that still didn't stop Jerry from, you know, trying to make his voice heard and letting everybody know that he was, in fact, the owner of this thing. He was still very upfront. He was very present, and he was in no way willing to recede anything to or concede anything to Jimmy and fade off into the background like I'm sure Jimmy would have preferred. Um, you know, Parcells, to a lesser degree, was like that. I think Parcells had a little bit more respect about for for the game and the way for the way things had always been done along those lines to than to make a real big deal out of it. But it was not hard to tell when he was irritated with stuff and when he chafed under it a little bit. But, man, I can't think of anybody beyond those two. You know, and I want to go back to your your kind of, uh, question, Mike. I, I want to see how you feel about that, just looking uh, from afar at Mike McCarthy. What what do you think? Do you think that'll – That'll last, or that'll that'll work. I mean, I go back to Green Bay, where Ted Thompson was kind of running things, and with no owner there, so McCarthy was the guy handling everything. I mean, he was the mouthpiece of the organization, and you know, I think he'll be happy not being that until he starts to see how much of it can get on your nerves when it's week eleven and you're calling for a playoff spot, and you're like, "Did Jerry really just say that shit?" Like, I do think, like, I do think McCarthy will get annoyed by this eventually. 
Oh, I do too. I do too. I, honestly, there's no way this can work. <laughs> there is no way this is going to work over the long haul. Mike McCarthy is a veteran NFL coach. Now, I, I don't know, Johnny, I'll defer to you on this because you probably know him or know people who know him and have been around him a little bit more than me. But to me, he's always seemed like a real hardcore football stomp down, hope to die hard ass who wanted things done his way. And as long as you did things his way, he'd be okay with that. But if you didn't, you were going to flat out know what he thought of it. And yep. I, I mean, that's my impression of it. I mean, am I, am I wrong here? <laughs> you're, you're exactly right, except for one person, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was the only guy who yeah. didn't have ramifications yeah. if he went the other way, and he had earned yeah. that. That's true. That's true. Aaron Rodgers was the magic man. And Mike McCarthy had sense enough to realize that without Aaron Rodgers, there was no him. There was no success for that team. There was no nothing. And he had the good sense to stand down when it came to Aaron Rodgers, even though even though it probably pissed him off on who knows how many occasions. But there's no Aaron Rodgers here, you know? And – I, I just I just don't see any way this works long term. And what have we seen Dak do pretty much since he's been in the league? He basically pretty much does what the coach tells him to do for the yeah. most part all yeah. the time. Which is which is fine. And I think that's why these first two years are very important because the roster is built in a way that you're still good. Troy made the comments today. I don't know where he said these comments. John, you might know, but Troy basically said to a man that every any, there's not many rosters in the NFL that would have traded, you know what, uh, that would have traded uh, for the Cowboys that they would have taken the Cowboys roster and been fine and said, you know what, yeah, I wouldn't trade that away for another roster. That's, we can go win with this thing, and this is where the Dak and Amari stuff becomes very interesting because you know if you do think this is kind of a short window, because I don't think a five year contract really means that much. The Cowboys have operated under five year contracts for a long time now. But if you look at, you know, Dak and Amari and you don't really want to pay them, maybe you're putting everything in on the next two years, then you don't have to sign these guys to a long-term thing. You can franchise one of them. Maybe you sign one of them. But, you know, if you're going all in in those two years, I think that's a very interesting dynamic. And I don't know how much McCarthy will have a say in all that stuff. John, do you have a vibe on how much he would have a say on if Dak got paid or if Amari Cooper got paid? I really don't, but I find it hard to believe that he would – you know, I mean, obviously coaching the Cowboys is a prestigious job that most coaches would want, but I find it, I feel like he would, part of the, the conversation just from talking to people that that was going on when they met with, when he met with Jerry and Steven was involving Dak and how he would use Dak. And I just, I think he'd be blindsided by the, if they were all of a sudden were like, well, we're not resigning him or we're going to let him go and we're going to go in another direction. Like uh, everything that I'm hearing and everything that it sounds like from him is that he's preparing to, you know, have Dak be their quarterback for, you know, he signed a five-year deal. Um, it sounds like he expects Dak to be that quarterback during his entire time here. Um, you know, it's just such a tough position to replace. You know, and I understand they found him in the late fourth round, but, uh, you know, if you tried to go in another direction, you could certainly do a lot worse. And 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 just with his background being a quarterback guru, I, I don't see why uh, you know he would want to he would want to potentially take this job if he thought that this was going to be some type of rebuild or they were going to go in another direction at quarterback. I think him taking this job has a lot to do with him believing Dak Prescott's going to be here for the foreseeable future. And I do too. I don't. I mean. Regardless of what anybody says on the outside, like it really comes down to what Jerry and Steven think. And Jerry and Steven love Dak. So it really doesn't matter if you're the biggest Dak fan or you're the, the biggest critic. The, the two guys that are, you know, making this decision are, are both all behind him. So I just don't see any way that he's not with this team. It'd be absolutely stunning if he wasn't. If, if Dak Prescott isn't their quarterback three years from now, I'll be surprised, much less the next year or two. And the other thing is, what are the options? You either yeah. sign him or you start over with somebody else. Now, which is better? And I don't know if either one are good, but which is the lesser of two evils? 
The only way I could see them if they if even if they were going to do that would be because they feel like they could get a veteran from another team, uh, you know, like a Philip Rivers or, or somebody like of that level that, again, yeah. fits into this one year window, two year window or something like that. But even that, I just I really don't see them even risking something like that. Um, I just think that they like Dak too much. But Johnny, even with that, you're starting over with somebody, you know? Sure. I mean, if, if you're going to start over with somebody, Philip Rivers is a pretty good guy to start over with. But if this so-called Super Bowl window, which we all thought surely was going to be exercised this year and that we would be talking about this team this week, if, that, if this Super Bowl window still continues to exist, I just don't see it going any other way. I mean, you need continuity at that position, don't you? Oh, for you absolutely for sure. do. Go ahead, Casey. There's so there are, there's so many people that just talk like playing quarterback is not the hardest one of the hardest jobs and uh, look, it's not doing road construction or roofing houses or something like a, like but it is a very difficult job and there's a reason why there's like 15 good ones on the planet. <laughs> like, yeah, some would tell you it's the most difficult position to play in all sports. Absolutely. And I, I agree 100%. Not that I'm a good athlete or anything, but I, I agree 100%. I, I think, and I think you got to pay it. I would have paid him last year. I would have got ahead of it because I do think you start messing around a little bit. If we get to a situation, watch the Chiefs go win the Super Bowl. If, and I don't know if that's who I'm picking or whatever, but if they go win the Super Bowl and then Pat Mahomes is eligible, eligible to negotiate a contract on March 1st, I believe. Well, watch the Chiefs. Watch watch that price tag continue to go up, and then you're like, okay, why didn't we do this at a Jared Goff or a Carson Wentz number? You know, it's like, oh man, we should have done it back then when it was a little more safe because those are going to look like safe contracts after Mahomes signs his deal, and then everyone else who is up signs their deal. But, but, so, but it sounds like that was on the table for Dak, and he called their bluff. Like it Pretty sounds awesome. like there was, you know, whatever the guarantee was there on, on Goff's deal, over a hundred million. It sounds like that was on the table for him when the season started. Something comparable to that, and he was like, you know, obviously he he has Todd France and CAA for a reason. Uh, he was willing to to gamble on himself. It sounds crazy to think about that. I mean, I don't I don't think I could do that, but it seems like that's what that's what he wanted to do. That's the problem with a lot of this contract talk stuff is that you know fans a lot of times just assume that it's like the Cowboys being cheap or or whatever. But like you don't necessarily know what they're asking for on the other side either. So um, I think that factors into it as well. And then here's one other thing I wanted to mention about Dak too. I always feel like you know Jerry obviously wants credit for things. I feel like Jerry wanted Jason to win a Super Bowl so bad because that was like his handpicked guy. And, and I believe he probably stuck with him a little bit longer than most would because of that. I also think Jerry sticks with Dak because he was the guy, you know, they're the team that was able to find him in the late fourth round. And if he wins with Dak, they, they get so much credit for being able to find this guy and bookend him with, with Tony Romo, a guy that they found that was undrafted. I think he likes that story a lot. And he obviously loves stories, how much he talked about storybook endings and things down the end of the season. I, I just think that he would rather take his chances trying to win that way than to go that veteran route like like a Philip Rivers or somebody like of that matter. Man, absolutely. And I, I love that. I actually love it. It's very interesting that Dak's kind of playing it that way or his agency playing it or seems like they're playing it that way. I think it's very fun. <laughs> just uh, kind of just for Steven and Jerry who love that negotiating for Dak to kind of like, oh, well, I can play this game too. I think it's very fun. But let's talk about the defense because that's the biggest problem with this football team. The offense is actually pretty good. You know, and they had some, some faults at the end of the year, but the defense is the biggest problem. John, you talked to Mike Nolan uh, yesterday. Uh, was that out the star? It was. They made a uh, little over, I think it was 15 assistants available in about an hour period. So, yeah, it was it was pretty wild. There was a lot going on there. All right. Well, let's, uh, we got the audio. Thanks uh, thanks to you, John. And uh, Kent has that. Uh, Mike Nolan talking about the players versus the scheme. Are they going to be a 4-3, going to be a 3-4? I think this is very interesting. It all starts with players. And uh, naturally, the, the, the roster, you know, there's free agents, things like that. But uh, more importantly, it starts with players and the things that we do. The things that excites me are the things that uh, we potentially can do down the road. Now, players will determine what we can do and what we cannot do, uh, not the scheme. The scheme is, is basically what you use to, to, you know, is what you have to, to utilize the players. It goes the other way. And uh, so that excites me. Just, just always the opportunity to work with new guys and uh, find out what their skills are, what they do well, and, and try to... Uh, 
you know, try to use those as best you can. At first, I thought that was super generic. And then he said something that is what's needed to happen here for a long time. The players are going to dictate the scheme, not we're going to do this Rod's way. We're going to do this Chris Richard's way. No matter what, that's what we're doing it. We do it our way. We have a certain guy we like. TJ Watt doesn't do this. So we have to take Taco Charlton. No, 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 no. We're gonna we're gonna fit what we have here, and then we will change what we do around who we have on the roster. I, I love that he said that. Yeah, this is my only problem with that is I just feel like everything that I'm hearing so far, whether it's from the assistants or it's Mike McCarthy, is all exactly what you want to hear. Whether it's analytic talk, it just seems like it's all of <laughs> oh, like it's no. almost like they have these these talking points of what is like ailed the Cowboys in the past. It uh, you know we're going to be more multiple on defense. <laughs> Uh, whereas, you know, the Cowboys were known for under Rod Marinelli and Chris Richard. This is kind of what we do. Um, so they talk about that. They talk about getting ball hawks in the secondary, causing more turnovers, which is obviously the Cowboys have been one of the worst teams in the NFL for the last seven, eight years in that department. Uh, you know, on, on, on offense, you know, it's it's going to be this, you know, collaboration with, you know, uh, a longtime offensive guy like Mike McCarthy with the young guy, Kellen Moore. There just seems like everything that they're saying right now is the right thing. So it's like you you take it for what it's worth, but you you really can't believe it until you actually see it, you know? Mike, you've swam the waters of Cowboys lip service and bullshit for <laughs> for many years. Is this any different than No, so many years. <laughs> is it, how much do you take into account when when a new when a change happens, new people come in and the things they say immediately? Have have you been tricked before? Does this remind you of anything like that? Or is this uh, you kinda Take what Mike's saying into take for what it's worth, and we'll see what happens. I always go back to the words of the great Parcells: "Don't tell me about the pain; show me the baby." <laughs> okay, you know it's just so much nonsense, so much lip service. I mean, they're just they're just they're just telling us something, so we'll have something. We'll have something to break down. Have something to talk about. Have something to uh, formulate a little bit of a conjecture over if we want to. You know, something for for you know guys to write for us to talk about. That's all it is. It is completely one hundred percent meaningless to me. And and if there is one thing good about not being in terrestrial radio anymore, I don't have to put any stock into it whatsoever. <laughs> And I like that. That's pretty awesome, right? I, yeah. I, I'm a, I mean, I've only been out of the game for about three months. Uh, I'm just kind of taking a, a radio hiatus for, for three months. But uh, it is amazing on a day-to-day basis. Someone will say something, I go, man, I really don't have an opinion on that right now because I don't have to have one. <laughs> I'm just going to, like, let it happen. Uh, but Watching I also have to do this. Watching go around is kind of nice. It is kind of nice. Um, but I also do this podcast with John. I, and I think the wheels do go around without a doubt more with the Cowboys than most other teams. I mean, I just, in my own life, I just, I, I just very rarely find like much time where I'm like, no, oh, there's nothing going on right now. Like they, I feel like every year they find a way to turn it more and more into like a year round thing where there really isn't, you know, much of an off season other than that, like part of the summer right before training camp in between, you know, uh, the, the mini camps and OTAs that they have. Like, but other than that, like even this off season, it's like, you know, I know it was a new coaching hire and a new staff, but it's like, they're not in the Super Bowl. They didn't make the playoffs. And I don't feel like there's been any time where there hasn't been any Cowboys news. And then it's like, as soon as you, as soon as this stuff ends, it's like, it just goes right into the draft. And then right when the draft's over, it's rookie mini camp, then mini camp, then OTAs. And it just like, and the Cowboys specifically, I just finally, like, I feel like they always have something going on always so that, they're in the news that they're always something to be talked about. It's just amazing. If there were a Super Bowl for making stories that win it every year. Which honestly I'm pretty thankful for. Oh uh, yeah. It's great for us, you know? <laughs> um let's go. I, I do want to hear this because we talked about Dak and Amari's contract status a little bit, but another free agent's Byron Jones. And I think this cut might talk a little bit about that. Mike Nolan uh yesterday at the star uh, just talking about on getting turnovers, and that's kind of been the big criticism of Byron Jones. 
Look, as most things do, it does start with the player. You know, typically there's players who have a knack for getting the ball and some that don't. But at the same time, uh, I think a coach's job is to work on that. That's the number one thing in winning football games is, is getting the ball for your offense. And as a defense, that's what we'll strive to do all the time. Outside of that is trying to get your opponent the third down again so you can get off the field because third down obviously is, is that down. But um, like I said, I think it, some players just have a knack for it, but the ones that don't, I think you can improve their skill. And that comes through practice and, and making the ball awareness, things like that. Okay, he's all, he, he does a lot of explaining football in the first 15 seconds of his two answers that I've heard so far. And then after that, though, he'll say something that at least catches my eye a little bit. Maybe I'm looking too far into this. Byron Jones, to me, I, I like Byron Jones. I'm not dying to have Byron Jones on my team at the price tag he's going to command, which I would assume is near the top of the market. And I don't think it's all his fault. They meddled with him. He was a cornerback. He played some safety in college, but Connecticut, he was best as a cornerback. And then they made him go play safety. And it's easy to say in hindsight, just because it didn't work out great as a safety, like he was okay. But like you could tell he doesn't turn his head to play the ball. He's never been a turnover magnet. He wasn't a turnover magnet in college. Like I I do think there is something about what he said about having a knack. Um, you know, and I don't know. I, I just I think Dak and Amari's importance to the team vastly outweighs Byron Jones's importance to the team, even though we talk about defense being a bigger issue than the offense. Yeah, the only way Byron Jones was is coming back is if he's willing to take a somewhat team friendly deal. I mean, it's been made clear pretty pretty uh much whether it would be Will McClay out at the combine and then just talking to Mike Nolan, even though I, I want people to know that Byron Jones's name was never specifically mentioned during that 15 minutes we talked to Mike Nolan. It's just in things that he said, people are obviously interpreting it to being, you know, related to Byron Jones because he's a free agent, uh, made the Pro Bowl last year, and, and he's looking, he'll probably get big money because he looks to be the number one corner in this free agency class in the entire NFL. And so, um, unless he's trying to, you know, he absolutely, and I do know that he loves Dallas and he would prefer to stay here, but it's, is he going to be willing to take less money for that? And I, I don't know that he will be able to. And so because of that, that's why I think in, in this draft as early as their first round pick, they're going to end up taking a defensive back. Well, I'm not itching to have him back. You know, he's a nice player and everything, but not a game changer. Not a game changer by any means. And if he's the top corner out there, then he's probably going to get game changer money. And I wouldn't give him that either. So if that's the way if that's the way this shakes out, fine. I agree. Great dude, but you just got to get more ball production. Um, I think it was – man, I, I'm trying to remember who said this quote. I, I don't think it was Troy, but it might have been Troy again. I know I'm referencing Troy a lot tonight, but – um, it was someone was talking. Maybe it was they were talking about throwing, and like you don't worry about the defensive backs that just bat the ball down. You worry about the defensive backs that can take it and make it a pick six, and that's what made Dion so dangerous. And that's where I kind of go with Byron. No one's scared of Byron Jones. Now he wasn't thrown out a lot um, because you could go pick on Cheeto and things like that. But no other quarterback is you know seeing ghosts when they see Byron Jones. They're they're just not so. Well, if, if the other teams aren't really treating you like a number one corner all the time, then I don't know if I want to go pay, you know, the 14, 15 million, whatever it's going to cost to pay, you know, top cornerback money on the market, which is, you know, what he's probably going to get because <laughs> there are going to be some teams that need, really need a cornerback. Yeah. Um, hey, the, the quote you're talking about, it's it. That's like the one that got the most. Uh, kind of play on Twitter after Mike Nolan talked, and it was Mike Nolan brought that up when he said that he had a conversation oh, yeah. with Troy Aikman about 15 years ago, and he said that they were just talking about DBs, uh, and Troy told him, he goes, I'm really not concerned with throwing at a corner that I know is just going to knock the ball down. He's like, I-, I throw incomplete passes all the time. I'm not really worried about that. But he's like, but with Dion, you know, you have to worry about throwing over there because it's you have to be concerned about him taking that back for six points the other way. And so when that gets put out there, and again, Byron Jones's name was never mentioned, but as soon as you put that out there, that's everyone underneath that tweet saying, yep, Byron's gone, Byron's gone, yep, sounds like Byron's out. Like, But I just want people to know that like, Byron Jones' name was never mentioned one time during that. But if you put all that together, it certainly sounds like the opposite of a, I mean, hey, let's be honest, Byron Jones hasn't had an interception since 2017. Like, it was stunning when Sean Lee had an interception this season and people are like, 
when's the last time he had an interception? Let's look this up. Like, I remember, like, in the press box, everybody's saying that. I'm like, he's had one since more recently than Byron Jones has. Like, and he did. Like, he, uh, Sean Lee's last one was, like, at the end of 2017. Byron Jones's was in the middle of 2017. And that also, that, that pick that Byron had his last one in the middle of 2017 is the last time that the Dallas Cowboys have intercepted a pass and returned it for a touchdown. And I, I would think that that has to be uh, the worst in the NFL. Let's go to one more from Mike Nolan. It's uh, his three four four three thing, and then we'll we'll get off Mike Nolan for a second. Three four and four three is really how is really just a personnel decision to get your best eleven on the field. Outside of that, it's just spacing between the eleven players you have. All the three four teams and the four three teams play a lot of the same fronts, uh, but. I've always believed it's about getting your best 11 on the field. And from there, whether that entails you calling yourself a 3-4 or a 4-3, you want to get those best guys, the best 11 out there. After that, like I said, it's just spacing. You know, you can line up a 3-4 personnel, as, as some teams do, and it looks just like a 4-3. And people talk about them as a 4-3, or as a 3-4, rather, but they really are the opposite. So it's, like I said, getting your best 11 on the field is the key, and then the spacing from there is, it can be either one. Maybe they need a better eleven than what they have. Because <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, don't worry about the four, the three. Worry about the eleven. Because like it's still frustrating sometimes. Where Jordan Lewis couldn't get on the field last year, and you're going, okay, well he's playing better than you know Cheeto is right now. Why can't he get on the field? And there were times in key moments of games, like it'd be third quarter, and you're uh, you know coming out of the halftime, and you really need to get a stop, and the team would go on a twelve play drive, and it's third and four. And, well, who are my defensive ends? It's Dorrance Armstrong and Kerry Hyder. Demarcus Lawrence is on the bench right now. It's like, gosh, can we get the best 11 guys out there for those key moments? So maybe that'll change a little bit. But I, I kind of tend to be, just from the outside looking in, uh, ske- interested but also skeptical about what will happen. I think I think you just have to see more than until you start going, oh, okay, they're going to do this. I do like that they're not going to do this basic 4-3 you know, Rod Marinelli's style of play all the time. I do like that because I, I just think it's it, sometimes change is good. Sometimes a, a change is good. Um, let's do the one from Kellen. Uh, let's do the last one from Kellen, uh, Kent, uh, about if he would have stayed if he wasn't calling plays. Uh, we really didn't even get down that road. I mean, I talked to Mike and we just talked through everything and it, it became a great opportunity. I, I really thought Mike and I would work really well together, however it turned out. I mean, I, if I was Kellen Moore, and I, I don't know, Kellen's probably going to have Mike McCarthy in his ear a lot, just like I, th- I feel like he probably had some Jason Garrett in his ear a lot and things like that. I do like some of the moves they've made on their offensive staff. But, man, if I'm Kellen Moore, I, I do want to go somewhere where I can just fly. And I don't know if they're going to let him do this here. I hope they do. I'm pleased that he's calling plays again because I do think Kellen's a good offensive mind. I, I hope he gets better watching the 49ers and the way they run the football I hope he can come up with some more creative run designs and things like that. But I like Kellen more. I, uh, I'm happy that he's still here. I'm, I'm actually very pleased by that. So I don't know. I don't really have any more else on anything else uh, more on that topic. I, I'm glad it's happening because there are times Mike McCarthy, in watching him very closely uh, with Green Bay, where you'd go, "Hey, if you're going to call plays, then I need you to get out of the ref's ass for a minute." Like he's just like yelling at the ref, and it's like, "Dude, there's a third and two coming up. Could you call the play?" as the offense is on the field staring at him, yell at the ref and not call the play. So if he could kind of do that, then I kind of like that. <laughs> I said this before, KT. I really think the Kellen Moore thing is a Jerry Steven thing. Like uh, that was an understanding when they got McCarthy here. Hey, this is our guy. And he's going to be our offensive coordinator. You can't demote him to quarterbacks coach. You can't have him as a offensive assistant. And they wanted to keep him around. So... I think Mike McCarthy was willing to take the job with that being the understanding. Here's what I wonder about Kellen Moore. Last year, for the first couple of games of the year, the offense looked vibrant. It was active. There was motion. There were formations. There were wrinkles left and right in it. There were things we hadn't seen before. And it moved the ball, and it scored points. And it was really exciting to watch. And I know I got kind of fired up about it, thinking that this was how it was going to be all year. And then along about game three or so, all that went away. 
and it looked just like it did the year before, pretty much. I mean, not exactly, but a whole lot closer to that than what we saw in the first couple games of the year. And I've always wondered since then what happened. I mean, did Jason start – was he not comfortable with the way things were going and he started taking control of it or or – what I mean, do you guys remember this? No, it, you're, absolutely. you're absolutely right. And and my only theory on this, and I have had nobody that was able to actually confirm it, but I've just always believed that it was kind of like Jason was allowing him to do that the first three weeks, give him a little bit more latitude because they were playing a not very good Giants team. They were playing a not very good Redskins team, and they were playing an awful Dolphins team. But then they yeah, go to New true. Orleans. They go to New Orleans in week four, and it was just like, you know – and that's really just how the Cowboys have been under Jason Garrett. Like they get super conservative when they go in like hostile road environments. And it's, I, I know like as, as much as Jason wants to say, like he doesn't do like the in-game in analytics, Jason does factor in analytics big time in terms of uh, over the long haul in the history of football. And he's big on, you know, the, the turnover battle. And if you don't turn the ball over, you know, your chances of go up, you know, incredibly. And so whenever he, they would go on the road, especially against a good, you know, opponent, I feel like they would get more conservative and it was like, Hey, let's just not, let's not blow the game. You know, let's, let's not do anything that where we lose it. Let's just kind of try and stick in here to the end and we'll make some plays late as opposed to just going out there and attacking like we saw, you know, those first three weeks. And then, and then obviously then the following week they played, I think it was Green Bay and then they lost that game and, and everything started changing from there. But no, I, I you're, you're absolutely right. I, I, I felt that absolutely. Those first three games, I was just kind of like, man, Wow, where where's this been? This is amazing. And then when they went to New Orleans, it seemed like the typical Cowboys we'd seen over the last few years. That was a pretty dramatic flip of the script. Absolutely. And and it just like it's one of those things where where you just watch the offense and go, Well, hold on, this doesn't look like and it I don't think I know the easy arguments like they played bad teams in the first three weeks, but man, I, I just look at it. The look at some of the things they did, look at some of the trends on how much they were running the ball on first down and little things like that. And you go, okay, well, this is this is clearly back to uh, Kellen maybe not having as much say as he did the well, previous week. Well, hold on here, KT. Okay, what about if that was you, though? This is the this is your last last radio gig you ever get. And and they're uh-huh. like, you have one year left on it. And if you don't get great ratings, you're out. And But we're going to let this younger guy who's never done radio before He's going to be the one that drives the show. Like, you're not going to step in some places. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I know it's not a great apples to apples comparison, but like, I could kind of see how, why Jason would do that. Like, hey, if the, if the ship's going down, this is my last year doing this, and this is my dream job, uh, I'm going to have a say in it, whether it works or not. You know what I'm saying? I, I guess for me, maybe I'm a little different as I would go, does this guy got anything? Let me, let me talk to this young buck. Does he have any good jokes? <laughs> Let's see, uh, what's his what's his taste in music? You know, I might, I'm gonna see what he's into. You know, maybe maybe because I might trust the guy. I might end up forming a bond with that guy if I if I liked him or girl. You know, of course. Mike, did you watch the Grammys? No, I did not. Did see, I miss I, anything? Uh, uh, Liz, 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 I, I, I missed Lizzo. Sounds like I, I missed a lot of Billie Eilish. Yeah, little Billie Eilish. <laughs> Bill- you know, someone, uh, Mike, you know, uh, Andy uh, Bothwell, the astronautist, you know him. Oh, yeah. um, he made a comment that he thinks uh, Billie Eilish is kind of to, to kids, you know, growing up or maybe high school age or whatever. Kind of, she could have the impact that Nirvana did on him. Now, I don't know if that's in your dark area or not, <laughs> uh, but I think that's interesting. The early... You know, because there's a lot of people who like really give her a lot of praise. I haven't even listened to her full album, so I'm uncomfortable commenting on it. But everyone, like even the guy from Radiohead, was like complimenting her, and he doesn't compliment anyone, including yeah. himself. Yeah, he didn't even show up to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's like, yeah. I'm good. <laughs> First of all, KT, that's my dark period, not my dark area. You don't want to know yeah. about my dark areas. <laughs> 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 yeah, my but, bad. But yeah, I, you know, I, I think that's a pretty apt comparison. I saw, I saw when he said that and read that quote, and I thought, yeah, that's about right. I was really turned I, off by Billie Eilish when I first heard her because she sort of flew in the face about, you know, what I think, you know, singers should be like. And mainly, I just like to hear a little bit more give a damn in there, you know? Yeah, but but over time and with more exposure, 
I'm I'm now on board. I'm now on board, and I think she's really got something. I think it's interesting that she's homeschooled, and then you know it's her brothers like produced produced her album. I do think that's interesting, but she does whisper sing, and that kind of bothers me a little bit. <laughs> like uh, I just want to hear yeah. like, like I want to hear like Lizzo. Lizzo's good, Mike. Do you like Lizzo? Lizzo's I, incredible. I don't, I, I don't know if I've been exposed enough to her yet. I'm gonna send you. It a is link. a girl, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> it is. Yes, I'm going to send you a link of her opening uh, performance from the Grammys. That I, I mean, that girl can okay. sing, man. All right. The thing about um, the thing about Billie Eilish though is what makes her so impressive, and why everybody's so blown away with her is that she's so young, right? But if it's ten years from now and she's the exact same artist, are we all still going to be blown away by her? I'm not. I'm just. I, what excites me is like where she yeah. could go as a musician, you know, because she's so good yeah, right well, out the gate. Things move on, and the story on her will be how well she moves, how she moves on, and how well she moves on with them. You know. Yeah. Hey, Mike. Um, Kobe Bryant reaction. I'll give him credit for the transformation at the end of his career. Once his career was over, he was going to get into the business realm, and he really, really reinvented himself. And in the last few months of his life, sometimes I would see him interviewed or hear him interviewed. And I would think, man, that is really, really smooth. I mean, he had really pulled it together and gotten rid of some of those rough edges of his younger days. And I'll give him all due credit for that. But all that said, it's terrible. It's just an awful tragedy for everybody involved. And it's... Um, a hell of a shit way to start a new year. Yeah. Did you guys, did, John, did you see that post Jason Witten did about Kobe? I did. Yeah. How Kobe stopped him in the streets and asked him about the, the option, the Y yeah. option or whatever, when he was him and Romo were talking about that a few years ago. Yeah. That fascinated me. Yeah. No, that picture he posted is one from, you know, uh, when they would be in training camp, you know, obviously in California, um, which, and that where that helicopter crash is probably about i would say 20 minute 30 minute drive from the training camp yeah it, it's not far at all i mean we we drive right past that area yeah it, it, I, I the first year i went i went out to training camp uh i only went for a, a week uh i was in full time with the morning news so they put me up in thousand oaks so it was pretty close to where that where that's at and yeah they're just we drive by that all the time. It was, it's kind of wild when you see that on, on TV, but uh, no, uh, I think they went to a Dodgers game together to answer your question, uh, Witten and uh, Kobe and like DeMarcus Ware and some other people like that. Um, but no, that doesn't surprise me because that's, that's the thing Kobe was like a student of the game type where it wouldn't just have to be basketball, you know, it would be whatever. And, and he'd, he'd always do all these stories are coming out now of all these behind the scenes stuff with other, you know, you know, athletes that are elite, obviously at their craft and how he wanted to, you know, learn everything about, you know, however he could be, you know, better or whatever. And no, it's, uh, yeah, the whole, the whole thing is, is just wild. I mean, the other thing is it just stunned me that TMZ like was able to have that like 20, 25 minutes before everybody else. And I know most of us, you know, in, in the sports business, you're kind of like, man, that seems crazy to go with that if you're not 100% sure on something like that. And it's it's not like this is a car accident where other people could be driving by and they saw like the right witnesses or it wasn't like something happened at a restaurant, the right witnesses. This is up in a mountain. Like who even saw that to like relay that to TMZ, which obviously it had to be, uh, you know, first responders or, or people in, in you know law enforcement or whatever. But it just the whole way that whole thing came down at you, you just didn't, you kind of like this, There's there's got to be more to this story. I can't believe that they're going with this and then also just in this twitter age right now that somebody would have a story that big and have it a good like i said 20 25 minutes before everybody else now i don't know if others knew and just were holding out because of the fact that they you know didn't want to put anything out until his family was obviously uh, or the families that were all involved were alerted but uh that was just stunning all of that to me yeah whenever uh tmz had the michael jackson story first that's when i kind of turned my head that's when they stopped becoming like tabloid journalism and starts like oh these people can actually report news now i mean the amount of lawyers that they have behind them is is insane it, harvey levin was a lawyer himself wasn't he before this so he think like they have so much legal stuff behind them that they can't just throw stuff against the wall anymore because of defamation lawsuits you know and all that kind of stuff so 
unbelievable. And yeah, it's not what you want to happen. But, you know, I had a friend, a roommate, former roommate who Kobe Bryant was his obsession. But I wanted to ask you guys, who was your guy growing up? Who was your athlete that if they had, you know, maybe they're still around, maybe they're already gone, but if they had gone, that would have just torn you apart. KT. Oh, you're going to start with me. Um, gosh, I don't feel like I've ever obsessed uh, over like an athlete like that before. Talk about like when you were little, maybe. Yeah. Who was your hero athlete? I mean, I, I just never, I, I'm never, and this sounds weird, every guy, because I I guess growing up in the 90s in this sports town as a child, every guy that I liked, like my favorite player growing up, was always uh, either really bad or did something wrong. Like, Rafael Palmero was my favorite baseball player, and then my <laughs> yeah. memory of him is now Congress. Yeah, the finger at Congress. Jamal Mashburn was my favorite, you know, maverick growing up, and that lasted about three years. So like I never really had that. Uh, I never really had that obsession. All my 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 obsessions came later in life. That's when I started having like this bucket list of, of like people I wanted to meet. Like that, those all came. Well, maybe late. not athlete, but what about celebrity? Maybe like a comedian, actor, somebody that you're just like you follow all their work. Favorite author, or something like that. I mean, my favorite. My, yeah, my favorite guys. Joel Rob Schneider. Well, it's yeah. jo- no, it's Joel McHale. Formerly oh, of the McHale. soup, and I know I'm I mean, yeah, low there. You'd hate for your number one guy to be Joel McHale, probably, but that's my guy. And I got a chance to meet him, and it was uh, one of the best days of my life. So, where was that? Uh, at the Addison Improv. Yeah, I went backstage. He was a very nice guy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, John, you got a hero athlete? Yeah, it's not even close for me. It's this is so easy. It's uh, Barry Sanders for sure. I don't even know if I would do this uh, mm-hmm. if I would have this job if it wasn't for Barry Sanders. Like I, he made me obsessed with football as a kid. And uh, I mean, I was I was never big enough to really play football. I, I did, but I wasn't very good at it. I was more of a basketball player, but he made me just obsess about football. And just obviously the Lions were never really anything great. But anytime you'd go to a game, like you were like, you knew you'd see at least one crazy like Barry play. And uh, in a way it just keeps, stand, it stands out to me more and more because uh, they're just, I thought after he retired, it'd be like, you'd see another one similar like in, in the next few years or something. And I just, I haven't seen anybody since that I, I would compare to Barry. So yeah, no, it's growing up in Detroit. I mean, that's, that's the guy. Yeah. Mine, I have two, uh, I'm a big hockey guy. So mine was Brett Hole when he came to the stars and they won the cup that he was my, he's my favorite player. And as a kid playing baseball, I was a Cal Ripken Jr. guy. He was he was my number one. You know, there was always like, are you a Griffey or a Ripken guy? I was totally Ripken. Loved me some Cal Ripken Jr. Played on the Orioles as a kid. Wore the hats all the time. Got all the cards. I wrote him letters and stuff. But yeah, he, he started my obsession with sports. That's for sure. He was my first sports crush. But what about you, Mike? Got to go back a few centuries for me. Um, baseball. It was probably as a guy who met a pretty tragic ending of his own. Roberto Clemente was my guy. Oh, wow. The outfielder wow. of the Pirates through the late 50s, early 60s, into the early 70s. Was flying a mission down in, uh, in the islands when his plane went down on, I believe, New Year's Eve or New Year's Day of 71, 72. While he was still active. But... I loved Roberto Clemente because he was five tool all the way. And I don't think I ever saw a game that he played in that he did not impact in some kind of dramatic way. There was never a game when he was just there. He might go seven or eight innings without you hardly noticing him. But in the, in the ninth, all that meant was in the ninth, he was going to do something to make his presence felt. He was an amazing player. Football, Johnny Unitas for me. He was the very first guy that that I latched on to when I started following football. The first football games I ever became aware of were the Baltimore Colts, New York Giants championship games in the late 50s. And Unitas was the premier quarterback of his time. And I loved everything about him. And um, basketball was Will Chamberlain. Will Chamberlain just had so much mystique about him. There was nobody like him. 
My favorite thing about Will Chamberlain, though, is, yeah, yeah, he can score. You know, he was the biggest guy out there on the floor. There was nobody who could even come remotely close to covering him for the better part of his time in the league, save for Bill Russell. And he could score on anybody. And everybody said, well, that's the only reason he's any good is because he's just so much bigger and so much more physical and so much stronger than everybody else. So one year, he decides, okay, I'm going to show everybody. This year, I'm not going to score, but I'm going to lead the league in assists. Now, keep in mind, this is a seven-footer we're talking about. This is, this is a center we're talking about. This is a center at the, the peak of his offensive game, but he took it upon himself at a time when he probably could have benefited his team most from being a scorer. He said, nope, I'll show you. And while he still got his points, he didn't get as many as he did before, and he did lead the league in assists, just like he said he would. And especially at a time, too, when shooters like weren't that prevalent, too. Yeah, like, that's right. It was an inside game, game back then. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a big man's game. Now, he's one of the guys who, like, because nowadays you, you just go on YouTube if you want to go watch someone from back in the day, but he's one of the guys where there's just not footage of. That's, you know, unless you're on NBA TV, like, you got to, if, if you see it, you're very lucky, lucky to catch any type of footage. And that's like one of the guys you go, man, I wish I could, could have seen what that was like, you know, because, yeah, was everything, everything you hear and, and know about him is that it's just pure greatness all the time. Well, he was a man of considerable strength, cons- considerable physical prowess. He was imposing out there on the floor every game he played in. He was the biggest guy out there, but he was also the best athlete. He also had more athletic skill than anybody else out there. And if you don't believe it, watch him shoot from the elbow and tell you, say, remind yourself that this is a seven foot three guy that's doing that. And he could just stand out there and drain it all day. He was just unbelievable. Mike, do you, do you remember, do you remember how you found out that Roberto Clemente passed away? Um, yeah, I heard it on the radio. I think the story broke pretty late at night. And I was listening to, um, God, I can't remember what station I was listening to, but the DJ, after a song was over with, came came on and said, we, we received a report of a plane crash in Puerto Rico that involves, or Haiti or wherever it was, that involves baseball star Roberto Clemente. He was believed dead. And that's how I found out. And then it's probably to the newspaper to confirm it in the morning yeah. back then. Yeah. You had to sleep on it. And then, oh, yeah. 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 Yep. Things were different back then, KT. <laughs> you know, and my, I, I left out the obvious one, though, Dirk. I think that's the one I think who would just – if something happened, like it would be just so shocking and – just painful for everyone here in the Metroplex. I think that's an obvious one. Well, there are a lot of guys yeah. like that. He's on the Mount Rushmore. I mean, well, not, I mean Aikman is another one, you know? Yeah. I mean, in fact, just, you could take just about any star from those Cowboys teams. And if something like that happened to him, he would get they – would, they would get the same treatment, maybe even more. Have, have you been uh, working on any uh, – or spending more time uh, thinking about petty theft and things like that? Do we have any shows coming up that we need to promote? Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, I have. We're not doing much at the start of the year. Toward March, we're going to be picking things up a little bit. Man, this is shaping up as a real nice year for PT already. All right. All right. We've got perennials locked into place and – and now we're filling it out with a few festivals here and there. And and um, it's going to be a real nice year. I'm very excited about it. The band's sounded really good. And um, good things are ahead for us. Well, I look forward to seeing you out at a petty theft show. And I'll get my parents back out there again. We'll have, we'll means, have us a good old so. time. Um, anything else? Any final thoughts for anyone? Kent, John, are you guys good? What are you guys thinking? Yeah, man, we'll... We'll see you next week, I guess. Uh, how was Parasite, though, KT? Oh, P- Parasite was incredible. That was my uh, that's my movie of the year, and I haven't oh. seen a lot of movies, but that's my movie of the year. 
Um, so yeah, Parasite, I hope it wins all the awards at the Academy Awards. Kent, you should plug your podcast too. We don't want to run anyone away from the athletic, but you're the movie expert doing movies podcast. Let's, let's if you want, yeah, if you want movie talk, uh, mad about movies, check that out on the podcast platform of your choice. I actually just released our best and worst movies of the year episode. It's pretty lengthy, but if you need to catch up on last year or before the Oscars, check that out. But yeah, maybe homework for the listener. Go go watch Parasite. It'll be worth your time. And you'll get to say, I saw that on Oscar night. Mike, do you catch a lot of movies these days? I haven't yet. I saw 1917 yesterday. Nice. Yeah. What'd you think? Loved it. Tremendous. Yeah. Story that needs yeah. to be told. A story I didn't know just a whole lot about. Because when I was in school, instead of getting around to the really important stuff like World War One and World War Two, we had to spend six weeks on the cotton gin every year. So we didn't get around <laughs> to that stuff. Oh, Texas history. Yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly. It, yeah, yeah it, no, that, it's tremendous. It's a, a, yeah, there needs to be more World War One movies. Yes, that's for sure. yes, yes. This is World War One out the ass. It is a tremendous story. Well told. Everybody should go see it. Oh, yeah. Totally agree. Well, that about wraps it up, KTA. But we'll be back next week with uh, with more Cowboys talk as needed. All right. I'll wrap it up. Then we'll do, we'll do this the right way. For our special guest, the man who made Sports Talk Radio fun, Mike Reiner. For our Cowboys intrepid reporter, Father John Mashoda. And for our good friend and producer, Kent Garrison. I am Kevin KT Turner, and we will see you next time on another edition of About Them Cowboys. Cowboys.